Hello, listeners, and welcome to A Dash of Salt with AJ. I'm your host, Ahsoka Jackson, author, poet, podcaster, and freelance proofreader. So, I stayed up for over 23 hours just to get the past six episodes of the podcast done, plus some housework to top it all off. As you might imagine, recovering from that was pretty rough, especially with my immune condition, so it took me a bit to finally do this last part of the reaction to episode 11. You know, I stayed up for over 30 hours um, before the power outages and everything, and now staying up for over 23 hours. I am definitely hoping not to make a habit of this. But uh, we're finally here. By the way, at the time of this recording, I haven't seen episode 12 yet, although I am aware of some of the events from that section of the story via the manga. And as an extra note, we're going to be on our 100th episode of the podcast soon. I haven't figured out yet if I'm going to do any special episodes or anything like that once we actually reach the milestone, but it's an exciting thing to see. And I really want to say a huge thanks to you guys here for listening to the show and providing your own comments and insights and spending this time with me. I really hope you'll continue enjoying this journey with me. And we only have a handful more episodes left for at least this 16-episode section of Attack on Titan, so I'm guessing there's going to be at least a break, even if there is meant to be a second part of Season 4. As far as I know, that still hasn't been confirmed yet, but it does seem likely. To me, it would just be odd for them to cut off the coverage uh, or the adaptation of the manga here and basically you know, leave half or more of the season unanimated after having animated the whole rest of the series previously. But in any case, it'll be interesting to consider what we talk about here once there's a break in the Attack on Time material from the anime. I would definitely be interested in hearing uh, viewers' suggestions about what to cover next. There definitely is going to be some anime-related stuff as we move forward. That much I already know. But I may also cover some more of the writing-related topics more heavily. And I'll definitely have to return at some point to the Shame of Kink series that comprised some of my earliest podcast installments. I left off last time speaking of that heartbreaking and tragic theme that's been repeated in this season. Aaron asks Reiner why his mother had to die, then Gabby asks why Udo and Sophia had to die, and now Kaya asks why her own mother had to die. It takes us back once more to the core horror of war, and the harsh realities of it, and also of what it means to live as part of a nation or other larger group, as well as the results of injustice. And there's also a core reality of this world, that the actions of an individual do not just affect them. People often take this narcissistic outlook to justify doing what they want, but the truth is that their actions will often impact in various ways other folks, folks who didn't agree to their bull. A moment from years ago that stuck with me was when a child confronted someone who ran a website that arranged infidelity. Of course, the jack-off had the usual consenting adult's defense, but the kid essentially pointed out that neither he nor the cheated-upon parent had agreed and consented to having their lives torn apart and all this emotional pain and turmoil of a destroyed family inflicted upon them. You know, speaking of lousy parenting and of how the burden of choices and sins extends beyond the one who committed them, 
there's a really great point someone else made about this whole situation Paradis now finds itself in. A lot of this traces back to King Fritz and what a reprehensible failure he was as a leader. What he chose to do, rather than taking proper responsibility and working towards actual solutions for the long term, was to kick the can down the road in the worst possible way. Rather than putting in place systems where the Eldians could actively help undo or compensate for their actions to the extent possible, and provide reparations for the nations they'd abused and slaughtered, the ones still left alive to make amends with at least, instead of doing anything like that, he just carried out that one plan with the Tibers, and then fled not only the mainland, but also responsibility itself. And what he did was wipe the memories of the folks he rounded up, so they would live in this false, temporary peace for a brief time. But they would never have a chance or the knowledge to make things right, and instead, their descendants, their children and grandchildren who hadn't committed the offenses, would be left to pay the ultimate price on their behalf instead. And King Fritz put measures in place to make sure that they actually wouldn't be able to defend themselves, and instead would simply be slaughtered if they ever were attacked. What kind of madness is that? This whole thing is absolutely twisted and criminal. It's like a mother and father who own a family business and is failing due to their own mismanagement and illicit dealings. Yet instead of fixing things, they decide to just make things worse and start borrowing from a bunch of people and not paying the various debts. And they decide to deliberately keep their children in the dark about it. And their decision is, we'll just keep racking up debt with every mob boss in town so we can continue our lifestyle of luxury even though we can't afford it. And then once we die, our children and grandchildren will inherit this failing business, and the business will take them down instead of us. <laughs> so they die, and now their children and grandchildren are being absolutely beset by all these loan sharks and tax officials and everything else. And their deceased parents made sure they never had a fair chance to even try to correct things in a timely manner. Yeah, he helped end the Great Tyne War, but King Fritz screwed over both the Eldians' descendants and the descendants of the other nations by preventing proper atonement and reconciliation, and instead setting things up so that the actual culprits would escape justice, and their children would instead pay with their own blood, which is a rather meaningless and empty thing that I feel would do little to actually benefit the victims anyways. Plus. The outcome of leaving Marley to its own devices was that it just became the newest tyrant to go around terrorizing the other nations of the world. Nicely done! If the records are accurate, the Eldian Empire spent nearly two millennia committing atrocities, and then a prominent splinter faction of it set up the next globally dominant committer of atrocities, plus set up their own descendants in a way where they're now actually bearing the brunt of the sins of both nations at present day. Now, Marley's choice to scapegoat Paradis is on Marley. Plus, Marley is also responsible for its own choices to mistreat the other nations of the world. But King Fritz and the Tibers created much of the current mess. They doubly sentenced the current-day folks of Paradis to death by making it impossible for them to defend themselves and making it impossible for them to engage with other nations peacefully and pursue a path of real atonement rather than waiting for things to reach this warped tipping point. Freaking wonderful. It's astoundingly selfish and callous to do what he did. You escape justice yourself, sends your children and grandchildren to paying the ultimate price on your behalf. 
and try to remove any chance of their paying a less extreme toll that would do more benefit to the victims. And it's certainly arguable if letting Marley abuse its powers is really a good act of penitence. Especially since it's like they're just extending the suffering of the nations who were already mistreated by Eldia. It's like an abusive wife grants her husband a divorce, but then just sets him up with another abusive woman as the next wife. The more I consider it, the more I agree with what that other commenter pointed out regarding Fritz. Although again, all of this assumes that we'll get confirmation that this is the real course of events that took place. Returning to something I was saying earlier, what we see take place with Hanja also gives us that theme of becoming what you had sought to destroy, to borrow a line from Star Wars. I talked about this previously in terms of how nations interact with each other and the world at large, but it's also something that's internally applicable for parties. Hanja has now become part of the government seeking to hide information from the people and prosecute those who would leak it. Once upon a time, that was the very thing the Survey Corps itself did, divulging to the population what was really going on and being hidden by the higher-ups. Now things are reversed. And if you think about it, this isn't actually new. From the time of the coup and the rise of Zachary's prominence and everything, the Survey Corps was busy hiding stuff. They knew that this man was a psycho-sicko. To paraphrase something from another show, I already knew you were a creep, but this is like deep freak. And the team explicitly stated that they knew the population would lose confidence in the leadership if they saw what kind of a man Zachary was. So they were saying that they wanted Zachary to keep that stuff hidden away from the public eye. So this isn't just a question of classified info or how, sure, a government is going to have stuff that it may not be wise to disclose publicly. I'm not saying there's no legitimate place for anything like that. Of Zachary, we're talking about something with a very dark edge to it. They're seeking to hide this man's depravity and keep the population ignorant of what sort of person they're actually in large part entrusting their futures and well-being and the governance of the nation to. This loops right back around to that theme of how just about every individual and faction in Attack on Titan turns out to have a pretty flawed or outright dark side to it. I'm disappointed seeing what the government is like a mere four years after the coup, but there were already immediate red flags during the coup itself and right afterwards, so maybe I was more optimistic than I even should have been. And I sort of get what Hanja is saying now, where she's basically trying to regain control of this whole mess, but then how ironic that Dallas Zachary and the military are getting and accepting credit for this operation that Aaron had to drag all of them into and carry far more of the burn for than he should have had to. So I really want to know what their current plans are for these heroes. The world as a whole was already about to slit their throats, and Aaron managed to stay its hand. So what's their response going to be? Especially since they're now taking credit and putting up this facade like this was all under control and was their plan all along, rather than being a course of action determined by their own soldier whom they finally drove over the edge and lost the hope and faith of. Alright guys, thanks for listening and I hope you've had a great time with me for this episode. 
and the rest of my coverage for episode 11, Deceiver. If you're enjoying the podcast, please don't forget to subscribe and turn your notifications on so you can get updates. You can help make the podcast more visible for new viewers and listeners by leaving a like, share, comment, or review on whichever platform you used to listen. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Verbal, YouTube, Amazon Music, social media, etc. Now be blessed and stay salty.